Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Political Party on Tuesday the 12th of November 2019. Episode 2 of this special election series features Joe Tanner, Chief Executive of In-House Communications and a former advisor to Boris Johnson. Her and her business partner, Katie Perrier, were described by Boris Johnson himself. He said they are the Fortnum and Mason of communications. They deliver and they deliver quality. Without them, I simply would not have been made mayor. Uh, Joe worked on his 2008 campaign and I started by asking her what were the key bits of advice she gave him when she first came on board. Let's let's get to the point in terms of uh, the current prime minister. You uh, you helped mastermind his mayoral victory in 2008. Um, what were the key bits of advice you gave him when you first came on board? Oh gosh, where do we start? <laughs> uh, well, one of the first things we did was uh, took him to get a new suit. Um, yeah. I can remember looking at his clothes and and you'll know that Boris is a very keen cyclist and one of the biggest challenges that we had was that he had um shoes that resembled uh brakes that he obviously wasn't using on his bike so instead he was putting his feet down and he well, actually like a had, child would. he had holes in the bottom of his shoes because he used to use he used to use his feet obviously he'd sort of slow down a bit and then do the last bit with his nice nice smart shoes that on the bottom as he sat on a platform if he put his legs out in front you could see holes in the bottom of the shoes it's like okay we need to sort that one out and his suits actually were um again they they had uh he lots of people talk about him losing weight at various points in his career and actually what's often happened is he's got a proper fitting suit because he uh. often would buy a suit bigger because of cycling so we went and we told him he had an interview at Selfridges about London's retail market and, and stuff and actually when he turned up there was no one there it was just us and we took him to go and get some new suits um, which he loved so much that he wanted to walk out in the suit even though it hadn't actually been hemmed and we were trying to explain you had to have it hemmed up on the trousers before you could leave the shop um, so he had great fun in there talking to some of the staff and actually I mean it was interesting that he, he whenever you got him out one of the biggest problems was actually time timekeeping with Boris was hard because he was notoriously late anyway but one of the bigger problems was he's so good with people. And a lot of people kind of forget this. But, I mean, you'd always meet taxi drivers in London who'd say, oh, you know, I saw Boris the other night and stopped and chatted, wound my window down and had a chat with him about what I thought we should do on X or Y. Um, and he was the same in shops and stuff. It took ages to get him anywhere because he talked to people. So one of the problems was actually trying to confine him in some way to the job in hand because he'd also then come back buzzing going, oh, I met this guy and what they think we should do policy-wise. Let's see if we can do this. And we'd be at an event and he'd suddenly stand up and say... Well, I know my advisors won't like this, but what I think we should do is, and we'd all be like, the colour would drain out of our faces and we'd start to feel sick going, we have definitely not costed that one. Um, so there's a lot of enthusiasm. He took a lot. He, he kind of feeds off of people. Um, and that's partly an ego thing, but that's also he's genuinely really interested in people. So he does listen to what they say. It's yeah. not just him showing off in front of a crowd. No, I, I mean, my mum's disabled and he like 
spent a bit of time in because I live in London he actually spent some time at my house where we were going off to different things and between events we had a little bit of downtime or whatever and he'd come and I don't know he'd either be finishing one of his columns or he'd just be doing some research and I can remember him sitting talking to my mum about dialerite in London because she's disabled and she used the service and his mum also had used the service and they sat and talked for ages and my mum had been a Ken Livingston voter Labour voter socialist worker parents and wow. she, she's having this long chat and he's kind of one eyebrow would be raised and say, well, Diane, do you think you'll actually ever vote for a Conservative in London? My mum's a world, I don't know. What are you going to do on dialer riding? He'd be like, here we go again. But he, you know, he would talk about stuff and he'd ask really interesting questions about people's lives and even walking down the street, you could you could wander along and I can, I can still picture it now. Some guy on the other side of the road, Boris, you beep, what's the way to say it? Um, and most leaders and their teams would kind of scuttle the person away you know oh my goodness someone's just sworn at them across the road and he'd be like all right mate got your vote <laughs> want to talk to me about anything and he'd just go he'd, he'd be quite happy to go over to someone and say okay so why wouldn't you vote for me and he'd take it on the chin wow yeah i mean and that was a genuine problem that the confinement of him to the task in hand and it was hard because actually through the campaign you could see how much he got out of those interactions, he'd almost test stuff. We'd tell him mm. and go, "Well, I've spoken to a real person, and actually, it's like, yeah, okay." And what we said was true, um, but he would almost test you because, unlike a lot of people, that he wasn't he because he cycled everywhere actually as well. I mean, punters could stop him all the time. Yes, she's a bit different now, um, and I've heard reports actually about that difficult uh, hospital meeting where he spoke to. Uh, the member of the public who really went for him over the issues around the NHS. And I've heard from people that were there, and they reckon that during the course, what wasn't shown was that he'd actually managed to talk that guy around towards the end. I'm not saying he was a supporter by the end, but he had managed to listen to him. And I got the impression from people that were there, that guy left in a slightly better mood than he started it, because he did feel that Boris at least had listened. In terms of Boris's physical appearance, so you talk about the oversized suit, the holes in the shoes... People think, well, you know, he ruffles his hair on purpose. It's all part of this brand that is carefully um, manicured by him. I mean, do you think, is that true? Does he deliberately look scruffy to create an impression about himself? I, oh, this is a question I've probably got. Every time I smoothed his hair down and then he ruffled it, I used to think, why are you doing it? Um, partly, I, I haven't decided whether it is a carefully crafted brand or actually it's just it was sort of a nervous disposition thing that just before he started he'd kind of rub his head and you know he'd sort of that was a way he thought I'd, yeah. I don't know because he 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 isn't somebody I mean there's always these sort of you know elitist and establishment um, labels that are thrown around but he actually didn't spend a lot of I mean everyone knows he's had the same car for about 15 years with you know about 15 year old newspapers still in it and stuff um he's never been someone that spent a lot of money on stuff so he was never somebody that had you know an expensive branded rucksack or whatever like he and i mean his weekend wear was appalling you always used to sort of think what's he going to turn up in? what sort of stuff well just he used to have this like really odd old black kind of jacket that i don't know i don't know where it'd come from but it was a sort of thing you'd look and then he'd He'd wear that with something like on his... I mean, politicians are notorious for poor weekend wear. I can't really single out Boris. It's yeah. always like the red cords come out and, the, <laughs> you know, and the chinos. Yeah. Um, but Boris always looked really thrown together. And you'll know that you look at him, look at Michael Gove and other runners, and they look like they've got dressed in the dark before yeah. they go out. There is always a sort of clash of colours and patterns and stuff. And there's just a sort of a lack of interest in it. So to some extent, I mean, Boris won... During that mayoral campaign, he won the London paper that used to be the free sheet in London... 
Um, he won the best dressed politician. What? Well, to be fair, he was up against Ken Livingstone. It wasn't that difficult, but I think Brian Paddock probably got the ump about that because <laughs> I think he probably thought he was sartorially a bit more. Well, Paddock was and he, Paddock's a, a handsome chap as well. He's well groomed, so he probably was right to feel. But a, I, a I little took bit credit groomed. for the suits and the uh, and the fact that we'd got we actually got his hair cut. Again, he was having an interview at Tony and Guy in central London, which turned into a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh. In terms of his character then, I mean, from what you say, it sounds like he's genuinely interested in people, that he's comfortable going out into the street and chatting with people that are even giving him abuse face to face. Was he a good boss? Was he good to work for? Yeah, I mean, on a campaign, the funny thing is, is in a way, the candidate's sort of not the boss. Mm. Um, because there's lots of other people that you become the candidate of the party. So actually, yes. you have multiple bosses. You have you have people that are organising things from from centrally from the party. You know, we worked with David Cameron and George Osborne at times. We had Linton Crosby came into the campaign. Um, so to some extent, you have the individual, the candidate themselves, but then you have a machine around them as well, of which we were senior. But I was part of the senior team there. So. Yes, in the respect of, was he a good candidate to work with? Yes, he was. Did he take a lot on board? Yes, he did. Did he completely ignore us at times? Yes, he did. <laughs> did I go home a couple of times and think, oh my goodness, I'm not going back to work? Um, yes, I was also heavily pregnant at the time. So that was that was probably not, that was just a stupid idea on my part. But anyway, um, I love my son. He's 11. He's adorable. And I don't regret it at all. <laughs> However, it just wasn't the greatest of timing to also do a mayoral campaign. Um, but no, he was, he, he, was, um, he was extremely good to work with. And it... Actually, that interaction stuff was was actually really good because you you had a moment where you get caught up in the machine and the stories you're pushing out and all that, but then you see somebody and you see their face when they hear a story or you watch them. We were used to go out with them. Um, I can remember one night going out with uh, the sort of the, the groups that go out with late at night and they do the sort of talking to people on the streets or yes. you know the, the vulnerable and stuff. And we used to go out with people like that, street pastors, those sorts of folks. And you could see Boris just completely, you know, enthralled by the stories, actually dismayed. He was visibly moved at times as well. And in a way, that's what you kind of want out of your leaders. You want them to actually see, you know, everything in its gritty, raw and, you know, needs action with its side and not just the dressed up version that everyone's put in a nice policy briefing and said, oh, you know, there's lots of homeless people to deal with, you know, and, and all that. You need people to see what it actually looks like and to hear their stories. Yes. And then to and then to act. And I suppose the concerns that people have about Boris Johnson, if, if we were to say, um, paint the least flattering picture of him, people would say, you know, he's this distant, privileged guy. He's got no idea. He doesn't seem like he wants to have any idea. And, you know, he's, he's basically a liar. Um, when you hear people talk about him like that, I mean, the cliche of him is that the, the guys basically can't tell the truth to save his life. Do you think that's fair? And, and does it hurt you when you hear people talk about him like that? I suppose, yeah, to some extent, to some extent it hurts because I, I sort of think it'd be nice if people could understand the person behind the scenes. And obviously, like all politicians, they shoot themselves in the foot and they do, they cause their own problems a lot of the time. Um and I'm never going to be an apologist for people who do things that I don't agree with or that say things I don't agree with. But actually, one of the challenges is with all our politicians is they're probably, they are all people that we do think are a bit strange and a bit odd because why on earth would anyone want to do the job? Let's face it, we've both worked in, you know, yeah. it, very close to these people. And the reality is you, you do sort of wonder if they've got a bit of a screw loose or a, a slightly narcissistic sort of side to them that they're willing to go and do this this is a job anyway so are they as in tune with with joe public i think you know it's nice when you see sides of people that are um i think some of the some of the things some of the decisions he's made 
you know, you have to, you don't know what everyone's motivation is for the way that they handle certain situations. And as an advisor, you can say, well, you know, if you're being asked this question, you should sort of tackle it like this. I've worked with people where you say, you know, you should be completely honest and just completely lance that ball publicly and it will go away forever. But then, of course, there are other people who will look and say, well, oh, yeah, but I saw so-and-so did it like this and it worked all right for them, so I'm going to chance my arm doing that one. And particularly when this stuff gets quite personal, when you look at, like, family stuff and that, it's really hard as an advisor to actually tell people what to do because mm. there gets to be a point where they've kind of got to take, they've got to hold their nose and go with the decision and stick with it. And actually, I can kind of respect the fact that at times people will sort of look at the advice they're being given, perhaps weigh it up and then say, yeah, but my gut is still saying I've got to do this because there's their family involved or whatever. So you kind of have to sit back and say, well, OK, you've done it. Maybe I don't necessarily agree with the path you took, but you've taken it. Um, and that is stuff. And I, I've had really... I remember having a couple of really honestly brutal conversations with with Boris where I said, you know, this is stuff that could come back in years to come. Now that now you've set that path. Um but it, you know, but ultimately you can't make people do stuff just because you think there was a better route. But I could have like, wrong in the long run. But would that be stuff where like he's overstretched on a promise or was it private life stuff? There's loads of private life stuff that was, you know, all pretty um pretty out there in terms of things that he's been asked before. There were um there was there were conversations about um Promises on policies and stuff were more that it's very easy on the campaign trail to kind of get a bit jumbled on stuff. And actually, you you sort of know the policy, but then you decide to start getting into it, and yeah. you know you bandy around a figure, and suddenly you've you've messed that up. Three hundred and fifty million well, pound a week. Sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, I wasn't around for that one either. But <laughs> we had something about bus numbers or what we were going to do with bus figures, and I remember it was the early start of people having cameras on their phones and someone was recording and I wasn't around I think I was back at HQ and Boris was on a bus with another advisor who'd been brought in from from the centre of the party and actually we got into all sorts of problems over it because it just unravelled and actually he sort of knew the policy but he just got the figures a bit <laughs> bit back to front and it kind of just caused a bit of a storm which those were the good old days really. Well yeah I mean in terms of the private life stuff and I don't want to go into like the stuff that's scandal and salacious but one of the things that people say is you know you can't even tell us how many kids he's got. Now if you're advising him would you say look just tell people how many kids you got or, or do you think actually that things like that he has the right to keep that private? It's weird isn't it? It's a it's a line it's a it's a line you feel is important or not important and that's a sort of very personal feeling you could probably get a lineup of 10 people who'd give you all sorts of different views and for me it's a decision that he's taken as to how he talks about his private life and that obviously came up with um with his girlfriend as well um and i think you have to respect people for the decision they make i i kind of feel like as an advisor you sort of have to step back and let them make a decision like that because it is such a personal thing in terms of how he generates publicity um i remember seeing an interview or reading an interview a few years ago where that famous footage of him in the river yes where i mean it's probably best if you tell it but it might not have been an accident well i've always had my suspicions about this one because there's what you have to remember is that when you have a mayoral campaign mayoral campaigns generally are pretty boring um, yes. And actually, because of the personalities involved in the one that we were involved in back in 2007, 2008, um, it, I think it got a lot more attention. I mean, we were, we had people from like papers all over the world following us, um, which was just bizarre. Vanity Fair followed the campaign at one point, which was just bizarre. Wow, that's yeah. cool. I mean, we were all like, we got really excited and then sort of realised that it'd probably just be a small bit at the back of the magazine, <laughs> which I think it was in the end. Um, but they sent someone with us for like a week or two, I think. Um so, yeah, there was this particular uh, event, which was, I think, one of his first duties as Mayor of London. And he went to some sort of random park and there was a, a sort of 
pond or lake or something. And it was some sort of clean-up of litter in, you know, he was way ahead of Michael Gove. He was talking about, you know, plastics and stuff in water, mm-hmm. which was way ahead of Gove at the time. Um, and then this, he sort of went in, I remember he had sort of a long sleeve top on. I think he had his shirt on, and then he had like a polo shirt on over the top, which was probably branded for the organisation that were doing it. And he sort of took a couple of steps, and then suddenly sort of the water went from sort of his knees to like almost <laughs> round his neck. I remember it. And his arms are sort of flailing, and he's got sort of a carrier bag where he's going to be picking up the rubbish. And and the thing was, it was that moment of, we've just got this man elected. Oh, my God, look at the state of that. <laughs> and it was that thing of thinking, what have we done? And and I can remember, like, the pictures were everywhere. And and the footage was everywhere. And it was kind of like, you know, Boris up to his neck. Or I can't remember the, the headlines, but I know there was loads of stuff about the, the fact that he'd fallen in. And it was only a little bit later that I sort of looked back at it and thought, do you know what? No one would have paid attention to that had he not had a mishap of some sort. Yes. And, you know, I, I don't for a second suggest that the, the zip wire was, was planned. Well, that's what I, think, I was going to ask. No, that's what ne- I was coming to. I've never thought that one was planned because he did look genuinely uncomfortable. <laughs> but, you know, there was that football match years ago where he sort of tackled Rugby the tackled a guy, yeah. And actually, if you remember, he did another one where there was like a nine-year-old playing football outside City Hall. Oh, was that a rugby or something? I think it was football, but he yeah. sort of ended up tripping the kid up or something. Yeah, I remember that. But, you know, these were... These photo ops go on all the time and no one cares about them normally. So actually, you know, some photographer or a couple of local... tipping kids over, you have to draw a line at... Well, I mean, you know, it's it's all all fair in love and politics, (laughs) I guess. I don't think anyone was injured, but I suspect the kid was happy. He was, was, you know, suddenly he's telling all his mates that I was the the headline on BBC London News or something. But, but, you know, the, the bizarre thing was that it... There were these different things he did, and and you sort of think, well, I don't know if anyone would have paid attention. If you look back and think, how many photo ops has Sadiq Khan done that you can actually remember in the last year or two? Probably very little. And actually, I reckon Boris probably had his is a higher number of hits. And I don't think that no no disrespect to the City Hall team, I'm not sure they were particularly clever things he did. I mean, okay, getting Arnold Schwarzenegger over on one of his Boris bites was quite clever, but. On the whole, I'm not sure they were actually that amazing that they would have made particular news. But I do wonder if his treatment of them is partly why they got where they got. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I mean, it's all great fun, and I've no doubt they work in getting attention, but do they get attention for the issues or just for him, and, and does that matter? And I just wonder if you know, if Gordon Brown would have said, right, I'm going to fall into a pond, uh, rugby tackle a nine-year-old, and, you know, do the, do the sort of thing. No one else could get away with it. And does that maybe... And that obviously is part of the charm and the attraction of Boris Johnson, but isn't it also... Does it kind of cheapen high office or am I just being kind of, am I clutching my pearls about stuff like that? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think sometimes just the fact that you get the photo in meant that then there was a description about what he was doing, which therefore showed that something was being done on an issue that needed to be dealt with. So you can kind of argue it in several ways because I guess you can say, yeah, OK, it's trivialising. But at the same time, the fact that money was being spent or a particular 
campaign was launched or a particular initiative was being heralded, you probably wouldn't have known about otherwise. So, you, you know, it can work for and against you. And do you think he should continue to do that in Downing Street? Or as Prime Minister, does he have to kind of stop falling in ponds and hitting kids? Well, to be fair, I mean, he hasn't done that yet. Has he? he's, <laughs> he's been too busy dealing with his own side and, and trying to get that deal through. So um, to some extent, I'm not, I'm not sure he needs to do it now. I think... Um, the interesting thing actually has been some of the photo ops with you know world leaders and stuff and you've seen that kind of everyone says you know they'll all hate him in Europe and yet you see you know photos of him sort of quite looking quite pally with Macron Macron and, was pissing himself and, in one of those photos really laughing but the, what were the pictures we used to see of Theresa May she used to walk in the room and everyone had their backs to her you know I mean it is a totally and actually yeah. you can say well is he a good enough leader or whatever? But if they're actually bothering to go and at least shake his hand and have a chat with him about something, that's got to be better than people not even yeah. talking to you. Leah Varadkar. Leah Varadkar seems to really like him. He's, he's, you know, he's the thing. It's sort of, I suppose, it goes back to my earlier point that if someone's the other side of the road and they're shouting abuse and you're prepared to go over and go, okay, mate, what, what can I do for you? Then, to be honest, walking into, you know, and that's in somewhere like Havering, you know, Romford or whatever. Um, where you might have been worried about what that person was going to do, what were they going to say, how they're going to react. Probably walking into a room of slightly hostile EU leaders might might seem relatively easy <laughs> compared to. Because yeah, yeah. if you're that kind of person that you are able to take the flack as well as the praise, mm. then actually does that mean that you're... I mean, everyone talks about Trump being really thin-skinned. Yeah. And I, I, I actually think Boris is probably thinner-skinned than we think. Yes, well, but people have said But he's that. actually willing, he's still at least willing to go over and go, do you know what, you might have written something bad about me last week, but hey, mate, let's have a chat now. Have you spoken too much since? Uh, I saw him a bit during the leadership campaign, um, but not since, no. There's, we sort of, there's always that thing where you have sort of little text exchanges with people, and I can remember... Um, when he was foreign secretary, having a, a couple of exchanges about different things. So what advice would you give to the other leaders around? What, what advice would you give to Joe Swinson? Oh, Joe. Do you know what? I really don't like those ringlets that she keeps doing with her hair. I think she's a really attractive woman. And I think she's, I think she's really smart. And I think there's always that thing in politics where women... Women sort of go one or two ways. They either try and be really masculine or they almost become a bit shrieky. And there's sort of not always a lot in between. And I, I feel a bit... I feel like for her, she's sort of been thrust into it all. And and I don't quite know if she's quite worked out what her style and look and stuff is going to be. Um, but I think, I mean, she's done a pretty, you know, she's, like, to be fair to her, she's done a pretty good deal with this um, Remain Alliance stuff where pretty much they've all said, OK, you go and you go for as many seats as you like, we'll all stand back. Fair play to her. I mean, it's probably the most strategic the Lib Dems have been for quite some time. So whether it's her or, or anyone else that's doing it, She's fronting it up, and I think fair play to her. Um, but I, Corbyn, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the the problem is most of the issues that he's getting the flack on are the things that he needs to really only he speaking from the heart, saying I'm not this or I'm not that, or I'm going to make sure this is tackled once and for all. Unless you can really do that and it's believable, a lot of the stuff isn't going to go away. The anti-Semitism stuff is not going to... It's not like people are just going to go, oh, OK, well, I like his policy on skills and I'm going to vote for him accordingly. If you think he's an anti-Semite and the people around him are, you're going to continue to think that. I don't think that's going to go away from some policies that you put forward. So that's quite a problem for him because it's a personal thing. Um, and then there's, you know, there's people like Nicola Sturgeon and you just think, gosh, you're just going to keep going on about independence and you know that's actually the stuff that I think all the other leaders are going to pile on to Corbyn that you're just going to do a deal and we're going to lose Scotland and I think that's that stuff's almost like throw everything you can at everyone to stop that happening really because 
that would just be the worst thing in the world. What about cosmetic advice for, for Jeremy Corbyn? Because he does, you know, when he wears a suit and that, and he wears a nice white shirt and that dark blue suit, I think he looks really good. You think actually you can so often. This is look... like a confessional. Come on, okay. <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? Have like, you got pictures just... of him on your wall? No, I haven't. No. <laughs> but he, 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 um, you know, he can look really good sometimes, Corbyn. You just think, well, why just do that all the time? But I think it's probably similar to Boris. Like, you revert back to what's comfortable. Mm. And I think. There is, a, there is a challenge on the Labour Party side because they want to throw this kind of establishment and elite, you know, and, and the sort of privileged few and all that sort of stuff around. So I do wonder if it almost feels like it's sort of against their religion that if they wear a suit, you know, are they somehow becoming part of that? And it's the reality of you, if you're not going to be a rebel all your life and you actually want to get in the game and you want to do the big job, well, you've kind of got to deal with the establishment. You've kind of got to become part of it because you will be heading up the biggest establishment we have and most important establishment we have. But actually on the day-to-day, there is still something really interesting about trust and how we trust people, and a lot of it's based on how we look. There's There was a fascinating study years ago um, about the Bangladeshi community in East London and about why so many people from that community used to use the hospital rather than GPs. And it turns out that the community didn't believe that you were a real doctor unless you wore a white coat. And so there was a problem that they kept trying to tell people to use the GP service, but instead they just turned up at A&E with stuff that could have been, you know, little infections and things could have been dealt with by a GP. And we sort of have a bit of a problem with our politicians in that we sort of expect them to look a certain way and talk a certain way and do stuff a certain way. And, and that is a bit of a problem because if you want to break out from that, if you're Boris and you look a bit different and you've got your hair's not, you know, not brushed as we assume it should be, we've gone from the extremes of Blair that had the kind of perfect teeth and Clinton. And and so now these slightly more authentic characters are a little bit truer to themselves and probably stick two fingers up at the advisors who are saying, well, actually, you should wear your best suit today. And that ties wonky or whatever. Um, my Twitter handle straight tied doing my nut if I was around people with the, the way that some of their ties are, are tied nowadays but actually you know we do have a problem because we there is a trust element that someone looks the part you know and and that they look they look right I can remember um, Serene Blair got in loads of trouble in London when he did a big press conference and he didn't have a tie on with his his full uniform um, and it was a sunny day it was summer and the Daily Mail had like him on the front page like this massive campaign about the fact that he hadn't treated the office accordingly so there is a problem about wanting to do the big jobs and actually there is almost an expectation from people if you polled people I'm sure they'd say they didn't care but at the same time I think if they did break the rules and you know if Corbyn turned up in a, a sort of pullover for PMQs he'd probably get absolutely trounced. I mean I think it is just you know I remember growing up in a very working class background and like Sunday best was a big deal and it's, it's a respect not, thing isn't it? It is a respect thing and it's that and I think sometimes people misunderstand it and go oh it's just for posh people I think it comes more from working class people than I any agree. other part of the I country. Agree. My granddad was exactly the same. Oh, absolutely. And my mum was like, clean shaven, you comb your hair. And you know what was really odd? I remember that exchange between David Cameron and Corbyn in the Commons where he says something about what, his, what advice his mum had given. He say, stand up straight, do up your ties and sing the National Anthem or something like that. <laughs> now, my mum would not have told me to sing the National but Anthem. How but many people have watched the National Anthem not some... being sung by the England team at football matches? Yeah. And we've all gone mad. Well, I, There is yeah. an expectation. It's a respect <laughs> thing. Well, if you don't I agree, have we're going different, to yeah. fall out now. Well, let's, let's leave the National Anthem to one side. But just in terms of looking your best for, you know, for a job interview, for a court appearance, whatever it is, that you would look your best. And there's an expectation that particularly if you're running the country... You know, it's almost disrespectful to the public to not 
put a tie on and do you? I, you know. I mean, I, I, I do. I, I, I'm not saying I necessarily think that. But says you, know. you in your polo shirt. Oh no, yeah. I mean, I got loads of reviews yesterday because <laughs> the photo we tweeted out, Brandon Lewis was in his suit, and I'm in. There's you. See, this is, but this yeah. is the, this is actually one of the interesting things about social media in that you could have got away with stuff like that before, but actually, because you don't know when you're in a radio studio if there's a camera on, and we all know yeah. what happened to. Gordon Brown after the bigoted woman comments and how he ended up on camera so everyone could see his reaction to the comments being replayed. But actually nowadays, you know, you don't know when someone's going to take a picture of you. So you can't really turn up completely dishevelled. You do have to go. Even the paperwork you hold in your hand can be photographed. Like you've got to be so on it all the time. What we see is so important and we make a lot of judgments about it. And I think politicians are under increasing scrutiny because of it because they're also caught they're caught off guard you know they literally it's the the, the footage of Cherie Blair opening the door on the yes. day after the election you know with her hair all over yeah. the place I mean you know I've done interviews where I've sat in my bedroom and I'm on the I'm on the phone to like BBC Radio Scotland or somewhere and I think god it and one said to me the other day oh can we do it FaceTime not audio can we do it like with camera and I was like no chance I've, <laughs> I've literally got yesterday's makeup still on it doesn't look good I'm not doing it I'm not getting dressed for you guys I cannot face it please no but they are you know politicians there is a respect thing there is a sense of I look the part I'm ready to do the job and and actually with an election you're talking about who's ready to govern mm-hmm. you know you're not you're not going to turn up to a major NATO event in your duffel coat you know, having dirty fingernails from your allotment. Like, you've got to turn up with your horseradish plants or whatever it was he's talking to Tom about. But, you know, you've got to look ready for work. And that is all about putting, adopting the position and, and looking the part. Uh, finally, we're asking all our guests during this election series to make a prediction whether you think it'd be a Labour majority, a hung parliament, a Conservative majority or a Lib Dem majority. What, what's, your, what's your antenna tell you? I think it's going to be a really depressing night. <laughs> I just, I, I honestly don't know. I veer, I veer like Boris's uh, shopping trolley, as he described <laughs> it over Brexit. I veer from it being a Tory majority um, to a Labour, Labour effectively achieving Theresa May's numbers. I veer that, that's how far my pendulum is swinging on so, a daily basis. But right now, if you had to put a fiver on it, what does your gut tell you? What do you think? I'd rather put the fiver straight down the drain, to be honest, because I, I genuinely find it... I think this election is fascinating because everyone talked about last week and, you know, oh, it's got off to a bad start and stuff. They haven't even got all their candidates selected. Like, this hasn't even really Oh, this is going. the pre-campaign, we are, yeah. We yeah. are like, you know, we are just fannying around at the edges at the moment. We've got no idea how where this is going to go. And I think... The game changer actually is going to be the Tory manifesto because that actually was the undoing of Theresa May, let alone her performance. But actually, there were a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff in there that really undid her. Um, so I think until you can see what the Tories are actually going to do, um, let alone Brexit, because you know this is still a Brexit election until there's anything else to talk about. Um, I think it's just impossible but to. Bearing call. in mind, I've had a chart made. Oh, really? Yeah, we're going to tweet this out later. This is really important. If just and all the caveats because people have heard it. If pushed all right, I reckon death. I reckon Boris will just get over the line, but I think it's going to be small numbers. Okay, so a small Conservative majority. Joe Tanner, thank you very much. Well, there you go, Joe Tanner, with some brilliant insights into the uh, the working life of Boris Johnson, his character and his personality. Stuff perhaps you wouldn't have heard uh, elsewhere. Certainly a slight surprise to me to hear some of those things. Um, and that's one of the things I want to do during this election series, is not just follow the day-to-day stories that you get elsewhere, but just find different insights and different voices, as well as covering the major developments, but just provide perhaps a different commentary on the election that you wouldn't be able to get anywhere else. So please do share it on social media with your friends and family 
Finally, every iTunes review and Spotify review and all that really, really helps. So thank you. And uh, hit subscribe and all the rest of it. I'll see you tomorrow. And Joe Tanner's prediction. There we go. Uh, a slim, but really when pushed, a slim Conservative majority. Read into that what you will. I'll see you tomorrow.